Hi, friends. I'm Tim Viegas. This is Think Inclusive. It is safe to say that most schools and districts want to be inclusive, even if they don't know exactly what that means or even how. Each week on the podcast, we try to bring you conversations that help us to get a little closer to authentic inclusive education in our schools. And in this episode, we're going to meet someone who is making inclusive education a reality in schools through professional learning. Let's get started. Lauren Huff-Williams is the Executive Director of the Program for Inclusion and Neurodiversity Education, better known as PINE, an online platform that offers training and support to schools committed to building more neuro-inclusive schools. Lauren is an autism and inclusion specialist and began her career as a special educator for the New York City Department of Education before working over a decade to define, refine, and expand the NYU ASD NEST support project. She partners with the neurodivergent community to shift the special education paradigm from deficits to strengths. Lauren is committed to helping school systems build inclusive learning environments for neurodivergent students. In this episode of Think Inclusive, Lauren delves into her origin story and how a research-focused professional found her calling in New York City's public schools, ultimately leading her to champion an education model embracing inclusion and neurodiversity. We talk about Pine's structured professional development solutions and how the organization's systemic approach enables educators across entire school systems to support neurodiverse students effectively. The conversation underscores the transformative potential of inclusive education when professional development becomes a shared language and responsibility. Before we get to the interview, we have a new sponsor. Are your students reading below grade level? Do they struggle to read due to a learning difference like dyslexia, visual impairments, or physical disabilities? Bookshare is a free ebook library that makes reading and learning easier. Designed for students with learning differences, Bookshare lets students read in ways that work for them with ebooks in easy to read formats. Students can access millions of titles, including textbooks, educational materials, and popular titles like Harry Potter and Percy Jackson. Students read with free reading tools on the devices they have access to at school and home. They can listen to words, read aloud, follow along with highlighted text, read in large font or braille, and customize their reading experience. Bookshare is 100% free for all U.S. students with qualifying disabilities and schools through funding from the U.S. Department of Education Office of Special Education Programs. Sign up today at bookshare.org. That's bookshare.org. After a short break, my interview with Lauren Huff-Williams. And for free time this week, a parable on educational change. Stick around. We'll be right back. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Lauren Huff-Williams, welcome to the Think Inclusive podcast. Thank you for having me. It's so wonderful to be here. Uh, Lauren, you are a part of a, a fantastic organization called Pine. But before we get into that, um, most people have some sort of origin story about <laughs> how they got into this work of uh, inclusive practices. So I'm wondering... What is your origin story? Yeah, yeah. Listen, thank you again for having me. It's it's wonderful to be here. And you know, I I came to to this work not too circuitously, but um, you know, my mother was a teacher, and um, I never planned on being one. Um, I didn't plan on going into education. In fact, I I had it in my mind that I was going to go into research. So when when I was studying it in university. You know, I was I was in psychology and neuroscience, and I was sure that I was going to be a lab rat. But um, when push came to shove, and it was time for me to 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 get a real job, I realized although I loved research, I loved that work. I also really love kids, and I was afraid that I wasn't going to be around them if I was stuck in a lab. So I I actually decided to move to New York City. I joined the New York City Teaching Fellows Program. Um, and I wanted desperately to be placed in what was what's called District 75, which at the time was uh, a much more segregated program. I specifically wanted to work in their autism program and I wasn't placed there. And I was just mm. so disappointed. Um, I ended up being placed in a, a neighborhood public school in um, East Harlem, where I was working uh, in a, a special education classroom. Um, but it wasn't where I initially wanted to be, but I'm actually so glad that it's where I ended up because through the New York City Public Schools, 
I learned about this program. Uh, it's called the ASD Nest Program, um, which was an inclusion program for autistic students, right? So autistic students learning alongside their neurotypical peers. Um, I learned about it. I really wanted to, to work in it. So I found one of the uh, developers of the program, Dr. Shirley Cohen, who at the time was at Hunter College, and I harassed her. I mean, I showed up at her office all the time. I was like, I really want to work in this program. There's got to be a spot. And I ended up being placed in, in one of their schools in Brooklyn, and it changed my life. Um, you know, I had the experience of working in a fully inclusive class, so two full-time teachers um, half of the class, uh, with an autism diagnosis, the other half, uh, neurotypical students, we received additional professional development on how do you support an inclusive classroom. And so I saw what can actually happen, right? I saw what true inclusion can really look like. And I also saw the, the power and the potential of providing really great professional development for educators. And so the work that we were doing in our, in our nest classes, began to kind of trickle out to the rest of the school community. And so we began to see how inclusion can, can really move beyond the walls of the classroom. So I ended up you know, staying with that program for quite some time. I went to NYU to run their professional development program and to develop their, their coaching model and later to, to co-direct the program. And you know, we saw that this change, right, this inclusive, inclusive practices can really happen school-wide. But I became really focused on the fact that this is happening in New York City, you know, in a really complex public school system, but this has to happen everywhere, right? We need a more scalable solution that would work for any school of any size, anywhere. And, you know, we, we know, unfortunately, we, we can't make more teachers, right? But we can make more teachers better at supporting all kids, and so that was the work I really wanted to, to do. And so I connected with my, my co-founder, Samara Swig, um, to really tackle this problem. And so we've built a, a, a real school-wide professional development platform that really focuses on inclusion and neurodiversity and training every educator to support all kids. I, I, love, I love what you just said about you can't make more teachers. Um, but you can make more teachers better. No? Yeah. Did I get that right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did that. That is good. You got to put that on a t-shirt or, or <laughs> got to make some bumper stickers. <laughs> <laughs> because I think that that is where a lot of people get stuck. A lot of systems get stuck. Uh, they want to be more inclusive. Um, it, I, I think it's rare to find a system that is like, no, we don't want to be inclusive, right? But they just don't know how to get there. No. And and they also, they're like, well, this is the staff that we have. We can't hire any more teachers. We can't hire any more paraprofessionals. Uh, but there is a step in between, right? And, and that's kind of what um, you were saying and with, with the professional development um, that, that you provide for Pine. Yeah, so let's get think- into Pine. You know, what does it stand for? Um, and like, what is, you know, what do you do? I know you, you, you provide professional learning, um, but what does it do? So I guess let's start with the acronym. 
Perfect. So yes, so PINE stands for the Program for Inclusion and Neurodiversity Education, so P-I-N-E. Um, and what we do is we really focus on giving every professional in a school access right, to the training and the support that they're, they're so desperately looking for so that they can better support their neurodiverse school communities. You know, when we, when we think about having, you know, over 7 million uh, students in the U.S. who are served under IDEA, and we know that, you know, over 90% of those students are enrolled in, in regular public schools, there's this huge body of students that, that need support. Um, and when we talk about neurodivergent students, right, 15 to 20% of the population is neurodivergent. So our school communities are neurodiverse communities, and they always have been. Right. But we haven't necessarily really talked about that. Um, and so, you know, while we we have a ways to go to really refine what inclusion looks like in many of our schools, the reality is, is we have more educators who are supporting more students with these learning and thinking differences. And the way we think about professional development and educator support has really not caught up with with this reality. We're still stuck in this old model where perhaps some special education teachers will receive some training in, in this area or some specific SLPs will receive some added support. Um, but we're not thinking about how do we train and support the entire system because inclusion is a, is a mindset, right? It's not a place. It's not a classroom. It's not, uh, it's not associated with only one or two staff members who are our kind of magical inclusion unicorns. Um, it's a mindset that needs to be shared school-wide, which means shared language, shared training and experience, and a shared sense of responsibility for, for all kids so that we're not falling into this pattern that we keep running into again and again of these are my kids. These are your kids. This is your area of expertise. This is my area of expertise. Um, and I think that we need to move past this myth of the general education class, right? Mm. You know, there, there is no such thing in my mind as a, a, a general education class taught by a general education teacher who doesn't need an understanding of inclusion and neurodiversity. Um, I don't think that we can point to any classroom these days that doesn't have a neurodivergent educator or staff member, right, as part of that community. But the training hasn't caught up with that reality. And so we're still so siloed. That's a great point, uh, especially about the neurodivergent educator. Mm -hmm. um, it's so interesting. It's like you have you have learners and, you know, they may or may not have a particular label, right? Uh, but as an educator, uh, who knows how many educators are, there are, you know, that either did have that label growing up or, you know, maybe they're diagnosed or, you know, um, you know, accepted a label later on as an adult. I mean, I, I hear all the time about people are like, I'm 46, I'm 50 and I got diagnosed with autism. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like people are really embracing, um, being neurodivergent and how powerful it would be to have a teacher, right. Uh, who, uh, was neurodivergent and let that be a, a way to accept learners into a classroom and, 
you know, and, and have it just be okay that we are a little different. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and the, look, I come to this work as a neurotypical person. Right. And, and I have to say that, and I have to kind of talk about that in, in this space because I have limited perspective. I do not have the perspective of lived experience and the expertise that comes with that. Um, but how incredibly valuable for our neurodivergent students to be learning from neurodivergent educators, right? And so the more we can create inclusive systems where everyone feels comfortable being their full and authentic selves and bringing that lived experience into their work, right? That's what we really, what we really need to do. And I think something that, that we do at Pine that, that is a little different than maybe some other programs is we believe that we need to center neurodivergent experts in this work. And so all of our training, all of our content is created in, in close collaboration with neurodivergent experts. So if you're learning about autism, you need to learn about autism from autistic individuals, right? What was it like for you in school? What worked? What didn't work, right? What should we be doing differently? Um, and so... I hope that we are going to to reach a point where our neurodivergent educators one receive the supports that they need to be successful um, in in teaching because you know the system needs this kind of diversity right and and two they can become these embedded um, experts and advocates for our students because they have perspective on 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 aspects of the students' experience. So when you were talking about um, neurodivergent educators, it's something came to my mind. So I, outside of my work for MCIE, uh, you know, I live in the state of Georgia and I teach a class for like alternate certification for educators, uh, who are becoming, you know, special education certified. And one of the classes I teach is on autism. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of reasons why I do that, but I guess, the one I've taught for a number of years, it's like an all day class. And I remember one of the, the, the people, one of the educators in my class, um, you know, told me that they were autistic and that they taught in a, um, segregated self-contained class for students with autism. Now, now it's, there's no surprise there because the, <laughs> uh, as you know, the majority of districts in the United States, um, you know, continue to, to have disability specific programs. And yeah. so it, that wasn't an, that really wasn't the thing that I was focused on, but it was that, you know, one of the things that I teach in the class is about inclusion and inclusive practices and kind of changing our mindsets and hearing from, uh, an actually autistic person, you know, kind of work through that, work through that about, you know, what it's like to teach students, um, you know, on the autism spectrum and while also being autistic. Um, I'm wondering in your experience and having neurodivergent people involved, like do people specifically with autism, do they have any sort of conflict about inclusion mm. um is is there is that any sort of like is there any sort of cognitive dissonance because i know for the people in my class 
especially this educator I'm thinking about, there was a lot Mm -hmm. of cognitive dissonance. Like I'm learning best practices, but yet I also work in a system, you know, that separates and secretes learners like me, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a great question. And, you know, while I, I can't, I can't speak on behalf of the autism community, obviously. Um, I think one of the things that I hear again and again is that there are some realities of the school system of the school day that really show, it really shows the neurotypical bias, right. Of, of Mm. the folks that are, that are kind of, that are making a lot of the decisions, right. Our school systems, um, are incredibly ableist, right? And a lot of the decision makers are neurotypical. And so they're not necessarily looking at what needs to be done from a neurodivergent perspective. Um, Let's just think about classroom environment, right? I hear again and again from autistic colleagues about how challenging the, the sensory environment is of your average classroom, right? From the the, the harsh fluorescent lights that buzz and flicker to the the classroom walls covered with all kinds of visuals uh, stimulation and the crisscrossed clotheslines and and flapping artwork right that's a very distracting visual environment for many neurodivergent folks um but when neurotypical educators build these classrooms, they're thinking about neurotypical students and they're thinking about what's going to be a print-rich, welcoming, safe uh, environment for, for who, who they assume is going to be in the classroom. Um, and they're forgetting how, how challenging an environment that could be for, for a neurodivergent learner. Um, and I think if you're, if you're a neurodivergent educator, that's not an assumption that you would make, right? You would know to design a classroom environment that is sensitive to, to sensory needs because perhaps you have your own. Now, when I set up a classroom environment, I'm doing that same thinking. I'm thinking about how to create a sensory safe space, but it's not coming from a place of lived experience. You know, I don't mm-hmm. notice a lot of the, the sensory violations that are present in a lot of our classrooms. Um, whereas someone with lived experience they would do that work kind of naturally. So all the more reason we need more neurodivergent educators uh, in our schools. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
you know, building inclusive classrooms, um, yes, around, you know, the lived experience of neurodivergent people, uh, but also realizing that, you know, when you create inclusive environments for people, you know, you, you know, who are neurodivergent, you're actually creating environments for everyone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you come at this from a universal design perspective, right, you're not, you're not talking about only thinking about one segment of the, of the population you're talking about. Okay. So what are the proactive universal supports that I can put in place that I know are going to be especially helpful for some of my, some of my learners. Um, but they also are likely going to be used by any number of other students. So I'll take a break area, for example. You know, one of the things that we talk about in, in our program, whether we're talking about a kindergarten classroom or, you know, an 11th grade classroom is, is there a space where students can go to calm themselves, to regulate, right? To have a little bit of a, of a, of a moment away from the demands of the classroom. Um, that can be a physical space or it can be some sort of routine that students have access to. And perhaps when, when those systems are designed, there are some particular neurodivergent students in mind who we know are going to benefit from that kind of support. But what about the neurotypical student who didn't really sleep well last night? Um, or who has something going on at home, or didn't eat breakfast, or is just a little bit extra stressed. That kind of a, a support that is available to the entire classroom that is universal could be particularly well-suited to neurodivergent students who may use it more often, but just as accessible to a neurotypical student who, who may need it. Um, I think the more we can build these supports class-wide, the more we can normalize providing access to these kinds of accommodations and modifications, right? The better, the better suited our classrooms are for, for all people. You know, the more we hide supports, the more we're stigmatizing students' use of those supports. Um, whereas if we have very natural conversations saying, okay, so we're going to be moving into some group work. I know group work works really well for some folks in our, in our classroom community. Group work can be really tricky for other folks. It's just not the way that they learn best. So how are we going to navigate this as a community? Right. How are we going to make sure this is something that works for everyone rather than always making the kind of assumption that is focused on the neurotypical experience? That's a great point. When you hide supports, it's like you are saying it's shameful to receive supports. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that some of this comes from educators, again, not having the training and the language of how do you talk about difference, right? How do you talk about neurodiversity? Everyone gets very, very concerned about, well, I don't want to, I don't want to disclose a student's diagnosis. I'm not, I'm not talking about diagnosis. I'm talking about having very natural conversations of, for example, you know, some of, some of us in this classroom learn best when our bodies are very still. Some of us learn best when our bodies are in motion. So how are we going to create a space where if this student wants to sit on a rug and that's how they, that's how they learn best and that works for them. And this other student needs to pace in the back of the, of the rug and move and stim in order to fully engage. 
how can we create a space that works for, for everyone? And if the teacher can show confidence and competence and openness in having some of these conversations, the students will then be able to follow suit, right? If the teacher is uncomfortable or is saying, oh, you need to sit down. I need you to sit down, crisscross, fold your hands, right? Mask, be more neurotypical. That's how you, that's how you're successful in this classroom. We're perpetuating this, this focus on the the neuro majority rather than creating a really inclusive experience for all kids. What are some of the barriers Pine has come up with when you know, supporting educators, um, you know, and I'm thinking more of like mindset barriers, not necessarily like the technical aspects of it, but more, you know, you know, let's say uh, a school or a district is utilizing, um, some of your professional learning, um, has there any, any barriers come up? Yeah, I mean, I think that there are lots of barriers in this work, but I don't believe that any of the barriers are, as you said before, I don't want to be more inclusive, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think that it's a new way of thinking to empower every single professional as being part of the solution, right? So again, I think that there's a lot of work to be done in our school systems to let folks know that every single staff member in that building is part of the inclusive solution, right? You are creating inclusive culture. That means it's not just the work, again, of that special educator or that SLP or that occupational therapist, right? The the school administrator plays a very key role. Every single general education teacher in that school plays a key role. What about the physical education teacher, right? That person is working with every single student in that school and is walking the hallways with every, th- every single student. So all of these professionals need to um, feel empowered and that shared sense of responsibility of supporting all kids. Um, you know, we've had custodial staff in our system um, receiving training because they play a key role in creating the inclusive experience. And so I think that that mindset shift of it's not that one professional's work, right? It's all of our work. And that everyone can can take steps to create a more inclusive culture for all of our students. Um, we shouldn't only be doing this work if we happen to have students in front of us who come with an IEP, right? This is work that has to happen all the time in every single space, whether it's in the classroom or the lunchroom or the hallway or the main office or anywhere in between. Right. I think that's a shift. So working in an inclusive system, how did you feel like you were supported by your school administrator to, you know, implement inclusive practices? I was really encouraged by all of the the administrators that that I taught under when I was in school. I was really encouraged to push inclusive practices and to find new ways to support more of the the students in in our classrooms. Um, You know, professional learning was really prioritized. So if I went to my administration and said, there's a conference I want to go to, there's a speaker that I want to see, there are some memoirs that I want to read by uh, neurodivergent authors, 
right? That was something that, you know, there was, there, they always found, they always found a couple pennies for, for me to be able to, to kind of continue my, my professional learning. Um, and then another thing that, that was always really supported was how do we share what's working in, in what was, you know, identified as the inclusion class, right? As if, as if right, it has right. to end at the walls, how could we share this outside of what's happening in, in your classroom? So what are the visual supports that you're using that are working really well in, in, in this classroom? What would that look like in science? What would that look like in the hallway? How could we, how could we share some of the, the resources and the supports that were being utilized in, in this specific inclusion class? How do we, how do we bring that more school-wide? And I think that can be a, a, a real powerful role that our school leaders can play um, is how do we figure out ways to, to, to break down these silos and to, and to bring the work school-wide, right? How can you... How can you find those couple of extra minutes so that there's co-planning time between the collaborative teacher, uh, teachers and the paraprofessionals that might be supporting that classroom? And what about having, having the, the time to meet as an interprofessional team, right? So many of our students have the benefit of working with lots of different adults um, across their day, but those adults never have time to sit down and really talk as a team and say, okay, What's working? What's not working? What do we need to do differently, right? And an administrator who who recognizes that and is able to find the time to to support that kind of interprofessional collaboration, I think that would do wonders in terms of um, not only developing the capacity of the their staff, um, but also better supporting um, their students. Like in general, like when you think about inclusion classroom, inclusion program, inclusion something. Um, you know, inherently, if you have one of those things, what are all the other things like the classroom? Like, like, yeah. I love what you said about, you know, you know, even the, this idea of a general education classroom, it's like, what if it's just a classroom? <laughs> it's just a classroom. It's just a classroom and you don't have to earn your, your seat in that learning space, right? The classroom is designed for kids, all types of kids with all types of, of, of strengths and all types of interests and all types of, of challenges and all types of, you know, learning uh, ways they like to learn and engage. And it doesn't mean that every single professional has to have the ready-made laminated solution for every single student, right? There, there is no laminated solution here. It is about mindset, right? And if the educator's mindset is, I need to create a learning space where my students feel safe and they feel seen and they feel understood. And I'm part of a professional community that I can turn to if the strategies that I'm using are not working and are not meeting the needs of an individual student in my class. Right. And I know that that might feel very different and feel very scary for, for some educators, but I think that fear of not being able to support a student that enters your classroom who, for example, is non-speaking and, oh my gosh, I've never done this before and I'm not quite sure how to do this. And there is a lot of fear that if it's not addressed and if we don't support every educator, it's going to perpetuate this. Well, I'm not trained to do this. Therefore, this student doesn't belong in my classroom. And that can't be the case. 
right? We have to find a way that all students can feel safe and supported and seen in all of our classrooms because our school is a neurodiverse, inclusive community. It's not specific classrooms. These are, this is not like color coded. So only certain students fit in certain classrooms. Um, but that's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of training and it's going to take a lot of ongoing support. Right. And so one of the things that, that we, we focused on in, in our program is yes, we give all staff members access to a whole host of courses and resources and downloadable tools and all the things that you need. But we also, you know, we host office hours. So any teacher can just sign up and meet with a, a pine coach and say, Hey, I'm working with this kid and here's what I'm seeing and here's what's working and here's what's not working. And to be met, not with judgment, not with finger wagging, right? Um, Not with any sort of evaluative role, but just to say, great, let's brainstorm, right? Let's think, let's think through this. Let's talk about what you're seeing. Let's talk about what you're wondering. Let's talk about some of the questions that you still have. Let's figure out some things to kind of try and then come on back in a week and let's see what's working, right? And I think that when we can support that kind of collaborative problem solving um, and this understanding that you may not have every single solution and that's okay, you can still be part of this work, right? You can still be, be, be creating this culture of belonging in the, in these inclusive schools. So uh, could an educator um, by themselves like access aspects of the pine program, or is it more a school reaching out and saying we'd like professional learning? So currently we offer memberships to schools or districts. Um, and, and part of the reasoning beyond, behind that is we really want to focus on that system-wide change, right? We really want full schools to sign on and say, we're going to give all of our staff members access to this type of professional learning. And so currently that's how our support is, is designed. Now that said, we do host a, a virtual conference, um, which is our Pine Summit every year. Um, so I'm happy to provide the, the dates and information about that when it's when it's uh, live, but it'll be our 2024 Pine Summit. Um, it's a three-day, all-virtual event. We also record everything. Um, we host a number of different uh, professionals in the neurodiversity space, um, centering on neurodivergent experts um, to talk about shifts in practice um, and mindset around neurodiversity. And so that's an event that currently anyone can, can participate in, whether you're an individual educator or a full school. Now, that said, I do have to tell you, we're getting a lot more of these requests, right, from individual educators who are real champions of inclusion um, and who really wanted to want to jump into some of this work. And I think that there's some real possibility there because what if we can get one to 10 teachers in a school to really begin doing this thinking. And then we can, we can tackle the system-wide change. So um, you're not the first person to ask. And I think that it's, it's a really interesting opportunity. Well, I know we 
we get a lot of requests <laughs> from oh, educators. <laughs> what can I do? Yes. Yes. Where do I start? <laughs> How do I do this? I'm going to do it some way. And it's, I uh, know. And it's so hard because I was one of those educators. <laughs> yeah. And you want to start and you want to start yesterday. Um, yeah. And I get it and I get it. And I'm, we're the better for those educators who are really the ones who are, who are championing this work and the parents, right? The parents who are just beating the drum and saying, you know, we need to be doing better, whether it's a parent of a, of a, a, a neurodivergent student or a parent of a neurotypical student, right? A lot of parents are also really, really, you know, pushing our schools and pushing our systems to create more inclusive environments for all kids. Are there any success stories that you can share um, from the educational systems that you, you've worked with? Yeah, you know, it, it's I've got to I got to I got to watch our time because I, I don't I don't want to I don't want to take up too much of it. Um, you know, we've been we've been lucky enough to to have some really unbelievable district and school partners. Um, we're going to be supporting you know close to sixty schools this fall. We're excited to be to be adding more schools and districts into into the community. Um, and, you know, prior to, to digging into our training and, and supports, uh, we were looking at our, uh, our data from some of our, our members and, you know, prior to starting this work, you know, less than half of our members said that they really knew how to support their neurodivergent students needs. Um, and then with the training, right, that we were able to provide, uh, you know, we had 90% of staff saying that they felt confident and that they could do this work. And, and that's huge. Right. And that's then, big. you know, I think we had 94% also said that what they learned in this kind of training would actually be helpful with their work supporting all students. So, right. This is the, this is what we want to see. And this is what we want to hear from, from our educators because we are putting more on their plates. So if we're going to be asking them to do more work when they don't have the time to do it, we want to make sure it's the right work. Um, and I, you know, I want to, I want to spotlight actually one district in particular, which is the Elmira City School District in upstate New York. Um, they were our very first partners uh, when we launched in the fall of 2020, which was a very complicated time to be that launching <laughs> a program. Um, however, we were also kind of uniquely positioned as an all virtual platform to support teachers at a time when the needs of their students had never been more apparent um, and they were looking for support. Um, and so, you know, under the leadership of their special ed and student services team at the district, you know, we were able to really jump in and tackle the work around inclusion and, and neurodiversity, and we were able to do it system-wide. And so we started with four elementary schools in our first year, and we were really working with, with each school on getting staff through our foundations coursework and, and starting to meet with individuals and teams during office hours and exploring ways to build in these universal supports and these neuroaffirming practices. Um, it's where we had our, our first custodial staff member jumping into the work. That's when we knew we were really, we were really onto something in terms of, of, of tackling all of the professionals in, in the school. Um, and in, in the years that follows, you know, followed, we, we added all of the other schools in the district. Um, we were training all of their new staff um, and really deepening our supports and professional development of the, of the seasoned educators. Um, we had folks who were starting to meet 
regularly as teams um, during our virtual office hours. And, and so we were really focused on building the capacity of those professionals um, in, in the schools. And uh, I was really excited. I just met with um, the folks from the district earlier this week, actually, and they now have a group of educators that have, you know, district-wide representation who have self-organized into a team and they're looking to continue to support this work across the district, right? Educators who are real champions of, of inclusion and, and neurodiversity, and they're looking to provide peer-to-peer supports to their colleagues, right? So this work can continue. And they're passionate and they have the training and they have the tools and now the mindsets to really continue to ensure that neurodiversity is seen and that it's understood and appreciated as as part of the natural fabric of the district. And so I really, you know, we have so many schools and so many districts that are doing amazing work, but that's that's just, it's been a remarkable pleasure and an honor to really work with them. Fantastic. Thank you. And if um, someone wants to get in touch with you, how, what's the best way to do that? Oh, absolutely. The The best way is probably through our website. So it's um, www.pineprogram, P-I-N-E program.org. Um, or you can always reach out to me directly, uh, lauren at pineprogram.org. I'd love to hear from, from, from anyone who's interested in this work. Uh, always nice to hear what's going on elsewhere. The mystery question after we return. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, so here we go. Drum roll, drum roll, please. Um, what do you think one of the biggest cons of being famous would be? Oh, oh, that's easy. That's easy. Okay. I don't want to be All recognized. Right. <laughs> I don't want to be recognized. I want to. I, I, I don't know if I'm an introvert or extrovert. I've never been able to kind of settle on it. But I really, really value quiet alone time. And as a, as a mom of two young kids, you don't get that a lot. And so to be able to 
walk around my my neighborhood or the park or to go running and have not one person talk to me is just it's a highlight. And I would hate it if people were constantly like, oh, there's Lauren. Let's go get a selfie. No way. <laughs> That's an easy one. Oh, uh, yeah, that is an easy one. What about you? Um, well, I think. Um, you know, that's why I like podcasting so much because (laughs) like I kept, you know, like, uh, something that in the podcasting community, well, in any sort of marketing or anything like that, but especially in podcasters, uh, that they talk about, well, you got to get on, on TikTok and you, you got to make videos and reels and stuff like that. (laughs) I do not like video. Video is, I just, uh, you know, um, my kids like, you know, cause I've got all this recording equipment and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll typically have it out and like, I'm recording them talk or recording, you know, us having a conversation and they'll listen back to it and be like, Oh, I hate the way I sound, you know, like I personally, like I'm so used to the audio, like listening to myself talk, like I've got no problem with that, but video I cannot stand, stand. like I cannot stand watching myself on video. Um, so, and, and to me having videos, you know, if you're famous, you're usually, typically it's because, you know, people know what you look like, like okay. what you said. Yeah. But to me, you are famous. So <laughs> I'm just going to say that. <laughs> well, not famous enough to be, uh, to have too much of a con. There you go. Too, maybe too, too many cons. <laughs> not yet. So not yet. maybe just this level of, of, of fame is fine. We'll keep this level of fame. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Lauren Huff Williams, thank you so much for being on the Think Inclusive podcast. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. That chime means it's free time. This week, I want to share a parable. A parable on educational change. Are you ready? Once upon a time, there were regular kids and special kids. Regular kids went to their neighborhood schools, attended regular classes with regular teachers, and participated in regular school activities. Special kids went to special schools, attended special classes in special rooms, and participated in special school activities. Because everything they did was special, they had special teachers. But then came mainstreaming, where special kids were allowed into regular classrooms if their work and behavior well was almost regular. This was followed by integration, where special kids were still special, but they were allowed in regular classes, usually ones not considered too academic, often with their teacher or a special assistant. This made the adults who worked with the kids talk to each other about teaching methods and sometimes plan their lesson together. Then came inclusion. The special students went to their neighborhood schools, were assigned to regular classes, just like regular kids. They were taught by regular and special teachers and participated in regular school activities. As a result, All schools were regular, all activities were regular, and all kids were regular. 
They also lost their labels. Instead of being special or regular, they were just kids. And some of them had their instruction and materials adapted so that they could learn what everyone else was learning. But what happened to the teachers? Well, the regular teachers became more special. And the special teachers became more regular. They learned from each other. And now they are all just teachers of kids who go to their neighborhood schools. The end. But is it the end? You know, we can make this parable a reality. What can you do in your context to make authentic, inclusive education not just a parable? That's it for this episode of Think Inclusive. If you are ready to move forward with inclusive educational practices in your school or district, come and partner with us. We don't just work in Maryland, folks. We also have partners in Illinois, Virginia, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and more to come. Could that be you? Our work begins with a conversation. So reach out on our website, mcie.org, and let's talk. Think Inclusive is written, edited, sound designed, mixed, and mastered by me, Tim Viegas, and is a production of the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education. Original music by Miles Kredich. Additional music from Melody. This episode has been sponsored by Bookshare, which is completely free, by the way. So check it out at bookshare.org. Thanks for your time and attention. And remember, inclusion always works. And I usually just uh, remind, just tell people my last name is tricky. So it's Huff Williams. Thank Yes. Lauren Huff Williams. Huff. Thank you. I, yes. I was just about to ask you how to pronounce your it's name. A, I, yeah. I have to just like write it down because I know I was so excited when I got married. I got to add an easy last name. My husband was like, don't change your name. I was like, no one can pronounce my last name. Williams at a restaurant is a lot better than. Yeah, I'm sure there. Yeah, yeah. I won't even go there. <laughs> I get Most, a lot. creative. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah. It gets a little creative, and uh, so William. Yeah, I the, I can appreciate that. So I got I get Villegas. You get just villages. Something villages. Villages something like that. That's so nice. Cool. <laughs> villages. Oh, yeah. No one knows what to do with a double L. Um, all right, if you are ready, we'll just jump in. Does that sound good? Yeah, it's great. From MCIE.